This Breakfast with Ben's podcast on the Fans First Network brought to you by Gerger Construction. It's not too soon to start planning your dream deck. They build decks year-round, and they're booking into spring and summer 2024. Gerger Construction is a small burg business specializing in decks, pergolas, railings, and fencing. Fully insured, licensed, and now offering financing options. Go to GergerConstruction.com to get your free project estimate or to schedule your deck safety inspection today. A rare Sunday post for our Breakfast with Ben's podcast. Tim Ben's here with you on the Fans First Network. Glad that you found us as we look ahead to the start of Steelers season coming up on September the 10th. Start of college football season coming up this weekend in earnest. A couple games getting underway to introduce us, re-indoctrinate us to college football this weekend. But my focus for most of the weekend was on baseball over at PNC Park because it was Hall of Fame induction weekend. Kent DeColvey, Bob Friend, Elroy Face, and Dick Grote all getting inducted to the Pirates Hall of Fame. Friend and Grote going in posthumously. I really wish that Dick Grote was alive for this. He passed away just a few days after it was announced that he got in a few months ago. Grote, one of the great all-time athletes in the history of Pittsburgh sports, not just because of his success with the Pirates, but also a great basketball player coming out of Swissville, played at Duke University, uh, could have played in the NBA, but decided to go the baseball route instead and was a great Pittsburgh Pirate for many years, part of the 1960 World Series team. And of course, Kent DeColvey, uh, one of the stars of the 1979 team. Elroy faced the pioneer of relief pitchers. Dave Justy in between, as we're going to talk about with Steve Blass in just a moment. And then Kent DeColvey, he talks about that lineage as well in our interview. But I wanted to talk to Teak. You know, I was reared on the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates team. That was my intro to Pittsburgh sports. My dad was a huge Pittsburgh sports fan. So being very young in the late 70s, having the Pirates win the World Series and the Steelers win two Super Bowls, all four after I was born, but I can barely remember bits and pieces of the last two. Um, That's what made me a Pittsburgh sports fan. I'm not a Pittsburgh sports fan. I'm not doing what I'm doing today, probably, if it's not for the likes of Kent DeColvey and all those We Are Family Pirates that won the 1979 World Series. So it was a lot of fun for me to get over to PNC Park and talk to Kent DeColvey on the day of his Hall of Fame Induction. So here are some of the words from Kent after he spoke on behalf of all four of the inductees. That's what they decided to do was have Tocolvi kind of be the speaker on behalf of all four since two had passed away and Elroy Face now at 95. Tocolvi just sort of spoke on behalf of everybody. And then I talked to him after the ceremonies were over. And first question I asked him was, how many times in your life, how many times, especially in your retirement, have you had people come up to you and say, look, I tried to throw sidearm because of you. He's so inexorably linked with that unique submarine-style delivery. I was just wondering if, on a personal level, he had people just walk up to him the same way you mentioned Kent DeColvey's name in passing, and anybody from that era, anybody who grew up watching those pirates, said, I tried to throw sidearm because of DeColvey. Would people actually say that to him 
on a regular basis. I did everything I could during that period of time to, pe- to tell people, and kids particularly, don't throw like that because I throw that way. I throw that way because that's how I can get people out. You throw like you normally throw. You know, throw your what's natural for you. And um, but it, it seemed like it didn't. The message didn't set in. Everybody wanted to do it because it looked different. It was you know, it just had something to it that made them attracted them to do it. You mentioned in your statements that all these years later you're still treated like royalty in the times that you've met people in pittsburgh over the years even after your retirement how many times did you hear a sentence like i tried to throw that way because every conversation every day every day (laughs) every conversation to this day and what i'm what i'm hearing it from now are people that i look at and i go i know you didn't see it so you either looked at some video or somebody told you about it yeah so uh yeah, but that's, that's, I mean, literally every kid that was in Pittsburgh at that time for some reason was trying to do it that way. I did talk to Bednar about being a closer from Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, and he seemed to have a real connection and understood the connection to you and Elroy Face, how, how far back that goes and the heritage that goes there, the lineage of closers that have been here in Pittsburgh even after your retirement. Um, how special is it for you, for you and Elroy Face both to have really pioneered that? Well, Elroy pioneered it. Before Elroy, there were none. You know, and then after Elroy, especially after um, 59 and 60, you know, baseball's a copycat game, and the Pirates did real good, and he did real good, and you know everybody else had to have one of those. So then that's when it started growing, and then after Elroy was done, Dave Justy took over, who was also an outstanding you know, relief pitcher. So I come in here in 1975, and I'm thinking, well, I'll tell you what, that bar is set awful damn high. Yeah, right, um, right. And, and since me, I mean, you, know, you look at the number of really good closers that we've had. I mean, it's been... Pittsburgh has like been a growing ground for closers. So, um, yeah, but it's Elroy's the pioneer. He's the one. He's the one that created the position. If it if it weren't for Elroy, there wouldn't have been a job for me to have when I got here because the game wouldn't evolve without him doing what he did to make it something that everybody knew they had to do. The fact that you guys threw multiple innings, the fact that you guys would throw so many days in a row, um, it's changed now, obviously. The position has changed. Like, it was a big deal that David pitched three out of four days the other day. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the evolution, or is it that, that ain't even the right way to say it about the closer position? Is it, has it devolved to being just too much about one inning and done? No, I think, I think what had happened was, I think, you know, as expansion came on, the quality of pitching got thinner and thinner. It got spread out more. And that's when there weren't as many top-notch guys to pitch in the eighth or ninth innings, you know, when they went to the one-inning stuff. So it was more the fact that they took they, um, they took the bullpens and restructured bullpens. I mean, we had 10, 10 guys on our staff, five starters, five relievers. Now you got, what, seven or eight relievers. So it's the, the, the game has been redesigned because of the fact that you have to you know, have guys pitch every day or have enough guys that they can pitch one or two innings every day and then get enough rest, have enough people to fill the spots for the next day so that they can, you know, send the, the guy number one can go back out there again the day after that and still have some rest. They're just conditioned different. They're not conditioned to throw three or four innings. We were. 
Last thing I'll ask is, um, you know, there's that iconic shot of you winning the 1979 World Series, getting the last out, Omar Moreno catching the ball in center field. What would you give to see that one more time here, whether it's David Bednar or whoever the closer of the time is, to see at least one more championship here? Well, I actually, um, quite a few years ago, um, when Tony Watson got his first save, he had just taken over and he got his first save, and I sent him a text, and he says, well, thank you very much. For this. I'm st- I still want to, yo, I still got a lot of them ahead of me, hopefully. And, you know, someday maybe I'll get to get that one you got at the end of the World Series. So it's something that, you know, you remember for the rest of your life. Steve and I talk about it all the time. Kids grow up all over this country dreaming of throwing the last pitch to you know, win the World Series or to hit a home run to win the World Series. Yeah, Mazeroski got to do it on one end, and Steve and I got to do it on the other end. How lucky we are to have been able to live every little kid's dream. Yeah, so it was great to catch up with Kent DeColvey. I was glad that I had an opportunity to do that. And uh, hopefully by the time um, Monday morning rolls around, you'll read the post that I'm going to put up about uh, Kent DeColvey and the legacy that he leaves behind and that unique nature of his sidearm, sidewinding, rubber band man delivery. But I also want to talk to Steve Blass about this too, because Blass, a longtime Pirates radio broadcaster, television broadcaster, closed out the 1971 World Series, um, came after Elroy Face, pioneered the closing role, as he talks about here. Dave Justy took it, uh, took the torch and went from there for the Pirates, and then Tocolvi took over in 75. But Blast is a former pitcher and a, a guy who bridged those eras in Pittsburgh, has a unique perspective on what Elroy Face and Kent Tocolvi meant not only to the Pirates, but to baseball when it came to expanding the role of the closer in the major leagues. Peek always told me, you take a kid down by the river, have him pick up a stone, see how he throws it. He's not going to throw it overhand. He's going to pick it up and throw a sidearm. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's not, it's it's rare, but uh, I don't know when he started. But uh, the thing the thing that sticks with me with Teak, eight or nine, seven or eight or nine years in the minor leagues with a, a unique delivery, unorthodox, so you're not a power guy that gets a lot of attention. To have the perseverance and stay with it and not quit and not quit, that, that along with his records that he set, that impresses me as much as anything. He, did, he didn't have anything handed to him, and they there was nobody that's going to be impressed with a guy throwing submarine, but he made it work and never quit on it. That's that's a sign of a, a champion right there. Did you ever try it? I mean, I, I know you predated. It was, it was suggested my last couple of years when I wasn't pitching really? well. Yeah, but I, no, I, I never did try it. Uh, you know, we, we all experiment and try different things, but I, I never never occurred to me to try to throw under it because I was a three quarter guy. I might come down a little lower than that, but uh, I never I never with it. You got to know what you're doing with that. That's just not a thing you can. Okay, I can do that because I can't do anything else. That's not the case. And I imagine it's tough to have people recognize what might be wrong with your delivery if you're in a oh. slump because you don't have a lot of instructors who know how to do it. Absolutely, yeah. There's no, there's, there's no precedence, and uh, and you know, a lot of people think, well, it's just uh, all deception. But he had enough speed. You know, a lot of people say he, just movement of the ball, which he had. But he also had enough speed to keep you honest. Well, that's a good point because. Walkie told me when I was talking to him about this that when he was with the Phillies and they were playing the Royals in the World Series, the first time a batter faced Quisenberry early in the series, all the other hitters were like, okay, what's it like? What's it like? And because the Phillies played the Pirates so often, I can't remember what battery he said it was, the guy said, it's like Teak 
but nowhere near as fast. Yeah, yeah. So he had enough speed. That legitimizes so much because uh, you can work off that no matter where you're throwing from. So he and, and he had a big breaking ball. So he had he had the tools. It was just it looked a little little different. So if you're a batter, you haven't seen much of that. You know, you're used to this overhand three quarter stuff. So even though you know it's coming, he's going to come from that angle. How much have you seen it? If you're coming up through the minor leagues, or you're you're a big league batter, you have, if, you have, if you haven't seen Kent Tacoby, you know what's coming. You know what's coming, but you don't know how it's coming. <laughs> so where do you pick up the ball? What kind of break does he have? How much movement on that fastball, which was a lot, uh, because of how you release the ball. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of aspects to it, not just an unusual delivery. So last thing, as far as all the good closers that Pittsburgh has had over the years, I think even in their down years, they've always seemed to find a good closer. You've seen so much Pirate baseball. Knowing the pitching position as you do, how cool is it to have had both Elroy Face and then Kent DeColvey as pioneers for what became the legacy of Pirate closers? Well, there, that legacy includes a guy named and Dave. Justy, too, and yeah. Dave Justy, who's my roommate. Right, you yeah. know, a starter wants to always take care of his closer, real yes. roommates. And Dave had the palm ball, which was kind of a distant cousin to Elroy Face's fork ball. The bottom fell out of it. So that, that legacy is it's, it's quite a lineage. You know, you talk about those guys always being around. And uh, it, you know, no, nobody throws all complete games. You need those kind of guys. So we're lucky to have them. And they all had a little bit different. You know, Bedner just throws the ball by you. And, and he's just a power guy uh, that knows what he's doing. Jesse, Jesse had been a starter with the Houston Astros, so he knew what the big leagues was like, and uh, he found his niche with that palm ball, off-speed pitch. Elroy, uh, it just, the bottom fell out of it. Plus, I never saw a pitcher come out of the bullpen like a general walking out to, to start a war or end a war like Elroy. He, he walked in like he owned the joint, and it was still so great. If you want to think about the word confidence and, and going out there, you're not... I'm not going to beat myself. You, you might beat me, but I ain't beating myself. And so he was and Teak with, with, with the numbers he put up with that unique delivery. So maybe different approaches, but we're lucky. All starters are lucky to have those guys lined up. You know, we used to talk about the lineage of second baseman. There's a lot of great second basemen along the way. Now, don't forget those closers. In my mind, they have the toughest job in baseball. They've got to finish a baseball game. They got to put the lid on a win. Well, that's what Teak made a good point too when he was talking about you and Maz. He said you might have even said it like, "How lucky are we that every kid in America who wants to play the sport of baseball has that dream of either hitting the home run to win the World Series or being the guy that gets the last out of the World Series?" And well, you three did it. Well, I did it uh, a thousand times when I was nine years old, and you get to the point where when you're a kid. What, what, what am I going to do if I win the I, I pitch and throw the last out of the World Series? I'm going to jump up and down, crawl on the ground like a reptile. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I guess to fly out to left center field and fly away? You don't know because the, the release is so incredible. You, you don't know. Your body is going to do something. You have no idea what's got in store for you because the release is unbelievable. All you can think of is it's final. It's over. It's never going to change. We just won. It's never going away, and that, it's a realization that's in, in a split second. But do you, can you? You don't have time to plan anything. Then your body will take over. Your body will celebrate and drag you along. All right. So my thanks to Steve Blass for joining us here on the podcast as well. Uh, hopefully, you read the piece that we're going to post on Monday. John Weiner grew up in Pittsburgh, a fan of those 1979 Pirates. He's now a broadcaster as well, uh, like Blass was, and. 
uh, talks extensively about Kent DeColvey and remembering him pitch. Donnie Kelly, a little on the younger side, but um, certainly the residue of the memories of those 79 players permeates anybody who grew up a Pittsburgh Pirate baseball fan because that's the last team to have won a World Series here in Pittsburgh. And David Bednar, the guy who's carrying the torch right now, a local pitching product from Mars, even though he's well after when Tocolvi pitched, he knows about his legacy and that of Elroy Face as well. So it's good perspective from some Pittsburgh folks talking about what those guys meant to the Pirates and uh, what their role was when it came to expanding people's view on what the closer position was all about. So we'll have that for you on Monday. Thanks for finding us here on a Sunday. I'll be back to our normal schedule starting on Monday as well with our Madden Monday podcast. Madden Ben's Unfiltered, 9.30 a.m. on the Trib Live Facebook stream too. Don't forget about that. And then uh, we'll wind forward towards the start of Steelers season on the 10th against the San Francisco 49ers. This is Breakfast with Ben's.